Today we're in Matthew 10 and we're talking about the short-term missions trip of the disciples. Jesus sent them out in Matthew 10 by Matthew 11, they're back. So this is a short-term missions trip and I'd like for you today to see how unusual this trip was. And I'd like for you to realize the fact that you have a ministry as a Christian, you have a ministry that's very similar to the ministry of these disciples. First of all, the disciples represented Christ. They represented Christ. They actually stood in Christ's sandals as they entered a city. We know this because, A, they possessed Christ's power. They possessed his power. He said to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Jesus was giving them power and ability to heal everybody. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine walking into a hospital and sending everybody home happy? Walking into a funeral home and ruining their business? <laughs> you know? That must have just been a complete, total delight. You'd go into a city and all of a sudden there would be joy and happiness in this city because you would fix the city in terms of sickness, mental institutions, demon possession. You were there to fix the city. The point is that their ministry had to be miracle or oriented. It had to be. Why? I answered this last week. Anybody remember? Why did their ministry have to be miracle oriented? Because they had to demonstrate what they preached. They demonstrated what they preached. They preached the kingdom of heaven is here. The king is here. They demonstrated kingdom power. Healed, healed all the sick, raised all the dead. They also were the very presence of Christ. I refer you to almost the last verse in chapter 10, where Jesus says to the disciples, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. What he's saying is that the way these cities respond to you is indicative of how these cities respond to me. There's no, there's no city that can say to you, we don't like you guys, but when Messiah comes, we'll receive him. That's not possible. The way they respond to the disciples is the way they respond to Christ, is the way they respond to the Father. So they went there in the very place of Jesus Christ. When the disciples left that city... They left that city with the, with the understanding that God had been there in the person of those disciples. They were Christ in that village. Then you'll notice also that they possessed Christ's authority in the sense that they actually pronounced judgment you see this in verses 14 and 15. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town.
Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Here's how precise their representation of Christ was. They entered the cities in the place of Jesus to obtain a decision. They were there to get a response. Their message was a command. The command was repent now. And you'll notice that Jesus said, if these people do not receive you, do not listen to your words, you shake off the dust of your feet. The Jewish people used to do this when they came out of Samaria. They didn't like Samaritans. They felt Samaritans were unclean. So they, got, they would come out of Samaria into, into uh, Judea or into Galilee. They'd shake off the dust of their feet saying, I don't want any of that mess, garbage on my foot. I don't want to carry any pollution into God's holy land. Now these people are doing it in God's holy land with, against their brothers and sisters and Jewish relatives. What are they saying? You'll notice he says in verse 15, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment than for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice you, when you leave that city, the judgment of this city is set. And it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? That was the red light district. Okay, those were the sin cities. Everybody knows that Sodom and Gomorrah are going to receive no mercy on the day of judgment. But who would think that a quiet pastoral town on the shores of the Sea of Galilee would be worse? And why are they worse? Because of the privilege that they have had. They've heard the gospel, they've seen miracles. They've had the representative of Jesus Christ himself at their house. Sodom and Gomorrah never had that chance. They never, got, they never saw miracles. They never got that message. And these people, if they reject the message of the disciples, are never going to have more light. The disciples aren't going to come back. Jesus is heading for a cross in Jerusalem. Do you think if they reject a message that has miracles connected with it, they're going to accept a message that doesn't have miracles? That doesn't have mighty works? The point is that their ministry was a ministry of authority that identified where these people were. It wasn't as much evaluating the disciples as it was evaluating the city. The city was on trial. <clears throat> Warren Wearsby tells the story of a tourist who was eager to see everything in a famous art gallery, and he almost ran from picture to picture, scarcely noticing what was in the frames of the pictures. He gets through the art gallery, he comes to the door, and he says to the guard, I didn't really see anything very special there. And the guard said, Sir, it's not the pictures that are on trial here, it's the visitors. 
That's what was happening in the ministry of these disciples. It wasn't the disciples that were on trial. It was the cities. Will you receive? Will you accept? Will you repent? Will you not? Have you ever thought that you are a representative of Jesus Christ in a way very similar to the disciples? You ever thought about that? You say, how do you know that I am a representative of Christ? Well, Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. As my Father has sent me. How did God the Father send Jesus Christ? Christ said, you and I have been sent the same way. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, Therefore we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Have you ever seen that? God making his appeal through us. And then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are equipped with the presence of Jesus Christ, with the power of Jesus Christ. So I often get this question. You know, there's pushback on this idea that we are actually representatives of Jesus Christ in a, very, in a way very similar to the disciples. I get this pushback. It says, no, we're not. Because we don't do miracles. You ever thought that? I don't have their power. I can't do what they do. I, you know, maybe Benny Hinn, maybe, you know, Oral Roberts, Robert Roberts, you know, but not me. You ever thought about the fact that even though you can't do miracles, I'm assuming you can't, maybe you do, I don't. Even though you can't do miracles, you represent Jesus Christ the way the disciples do. So what do you say about miracles? Let me help you evaluate miracles. Let me give you three questions to ask. Question number one. These people who are doing miracles, are their miracles really like Christ's miracles? Okay. Choose your favorite healer. Choose your favorite miracle worker. Are their miracles the same as Christ's miracles? In my background, I am familiar with John Wimber. I don't know how many of you knew John Wimber, but here's a picture of John. John was a great guy. A marvelous testimony of how God had saved him back in the 60s. Uh, out of a rock band, out of a motorcycle gang, and I don't know what all else. And in the first 10 years of his life, led thousands of people to Christ. Began a church just out of people he had led to Christ. And then he came to the conclusion that the gospel would be better served if we could do miracles. You know, if people saw miracles, then it would be, it would be stronger. The gospel would be stronger. And I remember being in a large service with John Wimber, and, and John presented, gave his testimony, which was great, presented Mark chapter 1 through 10, talked about these power encounters that Jesus had, and said, we got to do that today. 
And he said, let me show you how we do it. And so he started this process of doing miracles, the way Christ did miracles. And in watching the process, I observed the fact it wasn't the way Christ did miracles. You know? And I'm sure you're familiar with what you see on TV and so on. That's not what Christ did. Christ would go in and heal everybody. Christ would go in and raise dead people. You remember in Luke chapter 7, he interrupts a funeral procession to raise the guy. It didn't, des it didn't depend, a lot of times it didn't depend, on whether they had faith or not. It didn't depend on anybody praying. And it didn't depend on a lot of these things that faith healers emphasize. He just did it. That's miraculous power. So when you see somebody doing miracles, the first question is, are they like Christ? Okay. I have never seen a faith healer who does miracles like Christ. Question number two. Do they really believe that miracles make the gospel more powerful? Or do they admit that miracles don't make the gospel more powerful? John Wimber argued that miracles make the gospel more powerful. That's not true. You say, how do you know? Because the disciples did miracles and were rejected. Jesus did miracles and was hung on a cross. Moses did miracles and Pharaoh never repented. Egypt never repented. Miracles do not make the message more strong. Miracles don't make the message stronger. More stronger. Third question. Are they performing the miracles for Jewish people? All of Jesus' miracles were focused on Jewish people. See, the miracle workers today think it's for anybody. It never was for anybody. When Jesus began his miracle work in Luke chapter 4, he said, Do you remember the fact that Elijah did a miracle and it wasn't with a Jewish person? And Elisha did a miracle and it wasn't with a Jewish person. And I may heal a Gentile, but he's come to do miracle works for, for Jewish people. So the point I'm trying to make is this. The fact that you can't cast out demons and raise cancer victims does not mean that you don't represent Jesus Christ. It does not mean that you do not have the power of the Spirit of God in your life to do work in people's lives beyond all expectation. God wants to use you as his representative on earth to talk to people. Do you believe that? I think that wasn't a very good amen. That was a pretty weak amen. God wants to use you as his representative on earth. Amen. Today, in your culture, at your job, in your neighborhood, at your school, God wants to use you as his representative. So the disciples represented Jesus Christ. That's number one. The second thing I want you to notice is because they represented Jesus Christ, they were limited. They were limited. Disciples were limited. <coughs> to accurately represent Jesus Christ, you have to do it his way. 
What is his way? Number one, they were geographically limited. They were geographically limited. You see the text? Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Lost sheep. Lost sheep of Israel. Do you see how unusual this command is? How many missionary conferences have you been to where this command is used as the theme verse? Do you ever see that? Big banner above the missionary conference. Go nowhere to any Samaritan. You know, don't go to any Gentile. Why don't we use that as a command? It's a command in the Bible. Do you obey that command? Last service, I asked that question. I had a lady that said, <laughs> and she's right. We don't obey that command. Why don't we obey that command? It's a command in the Bible. Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, make disciples of all nations. We go to all nations. So why this command? What's this verse doing in here? Why, Jesus, why did Jesus send them only to Jewish people? Because his ministry was a ministry of coming to Israel, Jewish people, as their Messiah. He came to get a response from them. He came to a nation that had a history of all kinds of prophecy announcing what he would be like, what he would do, how you would identify him. And this was the time. So they were geographically limited. They couldn't go everywhere. This is really what Jesus' ministry was. You see it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Everybody understand where Galilee is? Here's a map. Up the top is Galilee. And to the right of that Galilee is a little blue thing. That's the Sea of Galilee, where Peter, Andrew, James, and John did their fishing business. Okay? So there's sort of a square up there of land, and that's the area of Galilee. Down at the bottom, you'll notice Judea, J-U-D-E-A. To the right of that, you see Jerusalem, you see Bethlehem, and over here you see the Dead Sea. So you had these two big sections in the nation of Israel. You had Galilee in the north, you had Judea in the south. In the middle, you have this place called Samaria. Jesus said, don't go there. Mm -mm. Restricted land. Cannot go to Samaria. You go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel geographically limited. I want you to notice also that they were limited in terms of their baggage. They were limited in baggage. He says, acquire no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, no two tunics or sandals or staff, for a laborer deserves his food. They could only take the clothes on their back, no suitcases, no carry-on bags. This was worse than American Airlines, you know? 
Only the clothes on your back. Why? Because they represented one who said in back in Matthew 8:20, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the son of man has no place to lay to lay his head. They represented one who came from heaven's glory to earth as a baby, dependent on others, even though he was God in the flesh. They're going to represent one who has to who has to receive food from the people he's ministering to. The city has to support the disciples. They've got to feed the disciples. They've got to take care of their needs. In other words, the ministry of the disciples depends on the ministry of the city to the disciples. Will you take the responsibility of meeting their needs so that they can clean out your hospitals and your funeral homes? Interesting. That's the way God works. You know? God likes to use people that don't have anything but the good news. The gospel. This great announcement of what Jesus Christ has done that we sang about today. So the disciples were limited in terms of their baggage. Uh, Let me mention Luke chapter 10 verse 8. Put that up. This is a verse some of you parents might want to put in the kitchen. Okay. Can you imagine Jesus saying this to his disciples? Just eat what's up before you. Why would he say this? Well, he would say this because they would probably get some strange food and they probably, my guess is, they would get non-kosher food, which these disciples perhaps had never eaten before. Ever been in that environment? We took three of our daughters to Bulgaria one time, and I said, now, if you're going to go with me, you're going to eat what is available. And they did a great job. But the, one of the challenges was we were, we were one place in a Senegrad, and, and the man said, you guys like fish? Yeah, we like fish. I'm going to go catch some. So he came out, and, and uh, he cooked up the fish. And so there was a plate full of fish, the whole fish. He'd cut the heads off and everything else was there. My daughters looked at that. (laughs) And I confess they didn't do much better than me. The tail was very tasty, you know, it really. You might want to put that verse up, okay? I wish we had it to use. So not only did, uh, were the disciples limited geographically, not only was their carry-on baggage limited, but thirdly, their income was limited. Their income. Do you see this verse? Here's verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without pay. Give without pay. They were to minister for free. They received the gift of God. They received this tremendous ability to heal cancer, to raise dead. They were to get zero money for that. 
Can you think of how that affected Judas? I can just imagine Judas saying, we've got all this power. We could make all this money. You know? I could say to somebody, so what's it worth you for me to raise your husband from the dead? You know? Why don't we establish this ministry on a firm ground? Why don't we get some money behind this thing? Why don't we get endowment? We could raise all kinds of money. Here we have this tremendous power and we're doing it not even thinking about what we could make. Yeah, free. You ever thought about that? What God, God is best revealed through people who give out his grace freely. Freely. We live in a generation that has grown up on the Minimax system. The Minimax system says, where can I get the maximum benefit for the minimum input? You ever heard that? You know? We've, we've seen this all over in school and colleges and so on. Give me the easiest course where I can get the best grade. Give me the easiest course where I can get out the fastest, you know? I had a friend who had been in education, higher education for years, and he said, higher education is the only business in the world where the seller and the buyer actively conspire together to cheat the buyer. And everybody's excited. Why do you want the cheapest, the simplest, the easiest course? You're only hurting yourself. Right? Maybe that's what you've taken. I don't know. I'm kidding. Erase that. But the Minimax system says, where can I get... Where can I get maximum benefit for minimum effort? And then God says, here's the, the, here's the assignment I gave you last week. In Luke chapter 6 and verse, and verse uh, 35, Jesus said, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Expecting nothing in return. Nothing. See, a lot of times, it's not an issue of what you do, it's, a, it's an issue of what you expect from what you do. In order to do this for the benefit of Jesus Christ, you do this for the benefit of Jesus Christ and not the benefit of you. It's for Him. And a lot of times, it's not what you put in the offering, it's what you expect out of what you put in the offering. Jesus talks about people who put something in the offering and expect that others are going to see it, you know? They're going to get blessing from humans. And he said, yeah, they got their blessing. People respond to this by saying, I don't really want to invest my time and energy into somebody who's homeless. That's a waste of time. I don't really want to give my valuable my valuables away. And God said, all right, go do your thing. Live in poverty. You've never read the rest of the verse. You see the rest of the verse? 
expecting nothing in return. Now back to the previous one. Expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. What's it like when God says the reward is great? Do you see what's happening? This is what Jesus was teaching the disciples. You've received it. It's a blessing from God. You've received your body. You've received your strength. You've received your talent. You've received your ability. Give it away. Expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. So the disciples were ministering without pay. Why were they ministering without pay? The truth is, the disciples had to be uncompensated for their tremendous gifts because God will never be compensated for his gifts. Are we ever going to pay God back for sending his only begotten son to die for us? God will be eternally uncompensated. And he wants us to display that to other people. By giving freely, expecting nothing in return. So, number one, the disciples represented Christ. Number two, because the disciples represented Christ, they were limited. Limited. Number three, because the disciples represented Christ, their ministry was messy. I'm sorry I couldn't pick a better word than messy. I looked for the word chaos, but couldn't make that work. I tried discouraging. I tried, you know, confusing. The word, I think, is pretty close to messy. You say, why? Let me give you five reasons their ministry was messy. Number one, they were going out as wolf meat. Verse 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What's it like for a sheep to enter into the middle of a pack of wolves? The wolves get excited. You know, they drool at the mouth. The wolves say, food. You ever felt that way? Jesus said, this is the way I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out and you're going out and there are wolves around and those wolves intend to eat you for lunch. And they think they can do it. Now notice Jesus didn't say, therefore, take a 45 caliber handgun with you. Okay, he didn't say that. You don't need any defense. He also didn't say, And prepare to be a martyr. Prepare to be eaten. No, that's not on the schedule. Okay? It's the fact that you are in the middle of wolves and they think that you're going to be their lunch. It's not going to happen, but they're going to think that and it feels that way. So he said, you need to be wise. You can't do this without thinking. You need to be wise. At the same time, you need to be harmless, innocent. This means you're not conspiring. You're not going to make them pay for it. You're not going after them. 
You're simply there announcing what has happened to you. You're sharing your testimony. You're telling your story. You're, talk, you're talking about the stick. You're talking about the beads on the stick. That's it. You're not into theological discussion. You're not arguing with the wolves. You're there. Ministry is messy. The second thing is, he says, you need to find somebody worthy. This is verses 11 to 13. <clears throat> They're looking for worthy people. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. You thought about the fact that in the nation of Israel, at this time, they were people who were not worthy. They had to find them. Find worthy people. The way I picture it is they come into a house and they announce their blessing and they say, Blessed be this house in the name of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And if they hear a response that says, Amen, blessed be our Messiah, the Lord Jesus, then they say, Amen, and they stay there. If they don't hear that response, they go to look for another one. They find another house. Why do they need to find worthy people? Because you don't want to live in a house where they're double-crossing what you're doing. You don't want to live in a house where they're trying to interrupt what you're doing. They need somebody to agree with them and feed them the right stuff and, you know, prepare them so they can go out and minister. So find somebody who's worthy. Ever been double-crossed? Ever been double-crossed by a Christian? We have a friend who's an unbeliever, brilliant man, engineer. As far as I know, twice he has hired Christians, and both of them have double-crossed him. Sad. But sometimes what makes ministry so messy is the fact that you can't find help from believers. That's where the disciples were. Number three, they had spectacular success with demons. Spectacular success with demons. Here's Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 72, these were disciples that Jesus sent out later, after the 12. But their ministry was the same. And he said to them, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. That's not the biggest thing. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The fact that you have power over demons doesn't mean you're big. The fact that you have power over demons means God's done something in your life. Praise Him. On the other hand, this is number four, they had failure with demons. This is Matthew 17, which we'll come to in a couple of weeks. When they came down to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic and suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. What a horrible situation. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. 
powerless. Why? And then number five, the last thing here is failure with their own people. This is what makes ministry messy. Ministry is messy. You see victory with demon and then you, then nothing, you know? And then failure with their own people. They go out, they clean out city hospitals, they clean out funeral homes, and what happens? How do, do the people all respond and say, Amen, praise God. Let's join the kingdom. Here's the response of the king himself. This is next chapter in Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Can you imagine that? This is Jesus saying this, okay? This is the king. This is the official response. Official response of the cities where most of his mighty works were done. No, they did not respond. Here's Matthew 23. Matthew 23, 37. Jesus weeping, probably, as he says this. He cries and says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Look at the contrast. Here's the desire of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I would like to gather your people together like chickens. I'd like to get them under my wing. I would like to protect them. I would like to warm them. I would like to feed them. I would like to provide them what they need. Here's the response of the nation. No! John chapter 1. Verse 11, John says this, and this is such an important two verses. John 11, 1, John 1, 11. He came unto his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Here's the incredible, amazing unbelievable thing. You get in this messy ministry. You, you go to work, you're representing Jesus Christ, and they don't care, you know? And your children, you know, and the neighbors, and all this stuff going on, and every once in a while you see success, and more times you don't see success, and so on. Verse 12 says, But as many as received him, in all of this mess, God is doing something. Here's the picture. Picture is... Where's the picture? <laughs> A mushroom. Do you see all those little veins on the mushroom? Look at all those little veins. That took a lot of work for somebody to design and build that. You see, you see the stem... Nice white stem. Do you know where this mushroom grew? It grew in a nice white laboratory culture. Amen? No. 
Now, this mushroom grew in dirt. This mushroom grew in the middle of a mess. This mushroom came out of junk. Look around. Look what's in that picture. How do you get a nice, white, beautiful mushroom out of a mess? That's what God can do. That's what God does regularly. That's what God loves to do. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what God wants to do in your ministry. God wants to use you as his representative, speaking his words in your neighborhood, in your school, in your office. Because out of that, he wants to bring his glory. Beautiful things to those who receive Jesus Christ. Even though most people reject him. Jesus came to his own people and they rejected him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. They become children of God. So the disciples represented Jesus Christ. If you are a child of God, you and I represent Jesus Christ. You may be the only Christ your office, your school, your neighborhood will ever see. One of the tragedies in the church today is that Christians do not believe that they are representatives of Christ. They say, well, I'll just go along in my poor, weak way. I'll just bumble along. You know, I'll try to say a word. Do you realize that you have the power of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you realize that you have been given the authority of Jesus Christ? That you, when you speak what he wants you to speak, you represent him? You say, how do I know that? Where did that happen? Here are the verses again. Jesus said, as my father has sent me, that's the way I send you. Paul says, God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal to your office through you, to your neighborhood, through you. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always. I am with you. Don't worry. I am with you. So we have an opportunity this week. We have an amazing opportunity to do a short-term missions trip. The short-term missions trip is to Jefferson County Fair. How many of you will pray for the outreach at Jefferson County Fair? How many? I'm looking for you to say, to commit yourself to pray for the outreach. How many? Let's do it again. Give me the hands. That's a good group. That's more than in the earlier service. How many of you will pray every day? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Every day. You'll pray every day. Put the hand up again. All right, you remember, you're committing yourself to the Lord, not just Shupi, to the Lord. I will pray every day for the outreach of the gospel at Jefferson County Fair. My last question. How many of you will go and join Paul Scott in presenting the gospel at the fair? I see four hands back there. Amen. Anybody else? I challenge you. 
God wants to use you as his representative at Jefferson County Fair this week. In the middle of the mess, in the middle of all that's going on at the fair, God reaches out and brings people to himself. Amen? What a great privilege we have to represent the king himself. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have not only given us in Jesus Christ eternal salvation, but you have given us the privilege of representing you. You intend to use us to speak in your place. You want us to say your words, to live and represent you in messy situations. And I pray that you would give us the strength you've promised, that you would equip us with the power that you have promised. And I pray that we might stand up and say a word and represent you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.